This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, a celebration for a jazz master as the 9th Annual Danny Barker Banjo and Guitar Festival gears up for a six-day run of events in venues across New Orleans. And an iconic Tony Award-winning musical continues the season for Broadway in New Orleans as Fiddler on the Roof opens tonight at the Sanger. But first... Every few months, a team of attorneys and advocates visit detention centers in Louisiana to guide immigrants through the asylum process. This work is grueling and deeply personal. The Gulf States Newsroom's Bobby Jean Missick wrote along on one of these trips and brings us one lawyer's story. It's 6 a.m. just outside of Alexandria, Louisiana, and Nora Ahmed is grabbing the only meal she'll eat for the next 12 hours or so. I don't eat. I don't go to the bathroom. I don't drink water because when you drink water, you have to go to the restroom. When you go to the restroom, you lose time. That time is for Ahmed, the legal director for the ACLU of Louisiana, and the rest of her team to meet with dozens, sometimes hundreds, of immigrants being detained at Wynn Correctional Center. In 1,000 feet, turn left onto Alexandria Mill Drive. It's a former private prison nestled deep in the Kasachi Forest. Now it holds thousands of people who are seeking protection in the United States. Ahmed and about half a dozen advocates and lawyers traveled there in November to educate asylum seekers about their rights. They met with people one-on-one. Ahmed says she hears the same thing over and over again. Why am I here? Why, why am I in prison? I thought I did what I was supposed to do, which was present myself and ask for asylum. She says there's a misconception that people in detention are illegal immigrants, but asylum seekers who make up the majority of detained immigrants in the U.S. are actually engaged in a legal process to try and get protection here. Ahmed and the team do a group presentation on habeas corpus, a federal legal challenge to Immigration and Customs Enforcement's ability to keep someone in detention. According to the latest data available, Louisiana has the second largest detained immigrant population in the U.S. But Ahmed and others say that vital information about the asylum process was not reaching detainees. It took us a while to realize that nobody was systematically and frequently going to the facilities. This team was created last summer in part to fill that void, by visiting the more rural detention centers every several weeks. But the detention facilities don't always make it easy for the team to share their presentations. The rules are different for each one. Some places let them bring in cell phones or laptops, others don't. And getting legal information and documents to immigrants requires hours of printing and carting boxes of documents in and out of the buildings each day. Sometimes little technical issues get in the way. Take Wynn Correctional Center. In November, it held more than 1,400 people on average every day. But when Ahmed and the team went there, only a small fraction of the detainees signed up for the presentation. That just didn't make sense. We knew just based on prior experiences at other facilities that on average, 
between 50 and 70 percent of those detained are interested in hearing a presentation. It turns out that detention officials only printed a limited number of sign-up sheets. That meant dozens of people potentially missed out on important information and legal advice. When things don't go as planned, it's frustrating. But Ahmed has some mantras she repeats to herself. A big one is you can't let perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, you do the best that you can in the time that you have. And Ahmed says she doesn't want to spend her time as an attorney any other way. For a long time, she was a corporate lawyer in New York. But she says she's wanted to work for the ACLU since she was a teenager. That's a dream that I get emotional sometimes, right, that a lot of young kids have because you want to provide rights to people. Ahmed is a child of immigrants herself. She says her Arabic last name made her a target of anti-Muslim hate after 9-11. She identifies with the feeling of not fully belonging here, just because of who you are. Now, as she talks to people who've escaped turmoil in their home countries, only to be locked in prison-like facilities and possibly deported, she reflects on how fragile the American dream can be. We have exported the lore of what this country is across the world. But then there's also frustration, right? When people say they want to come to this great country and then we're effectively telling them, well, it's not for you. Faced with that impossible scenario, she holds another saying dear, to have the serenity to accept the things she cannot change and the courage to effect change in the system wherever she can. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Bobby Jean Mizick. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. Fiddler on the Roof is coming to the Sanger. That's right, the Tony Award-winning musical about a Jewish community towing the line of tradition and cultural change while the threat of Russian invasion looms in the background opens tonight, February 28th in New Orleans. Here to tell us more about this performance is one of the stars of the show, Andrew Hendricks, who plays Laser Wolf. Andrew, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, for anyone who might be unfamiliar with this musical, can you tell us a little bit about this story? Absolutely. It is about a Jewish community living in what is actually uh, modern-day Ukraine, and they are uh, coping with the changing times. It follows a family, um, Tevya the Dairyman, uh, who is you know, not wealthy, a very poor family, and his five daughters. And it kind of centers around the idea that, you know, the marriages are set up by the parents and the children just go along with it. And we're kind of witnessing in this show the changing times of the children saying, actually, no, I want to choose who I'm going to be married to. And, you know, it's kind of about Tevia's coping with that. And, of course, it's all set against the backdrop of pogroms and things that eventually lead to them getting kicked out of the village. Not to give a spoiler, but... Um, that's kind of where we end up. So if you strip everything else away, it's, it's a story about family and uh, coping with 
changing times and changing traditions. And of course, Fiddler on the Roof has undergone many changes over the years. It all started as Yiddish short stories about Tevye, the milkman, written by author Sholem Alechem in the 1890s. But since then, it's become a musical, a movie, taking on many different renditions. Tell us about this version of Fiddler. How is it different from and similar to some of the more traditional versions of the show? This production is a really fresh and exciting take on the show. It's been kind of reimagined by our director, Bartlett Scher, who is an absolute genius, and by our choreographer, uh, Hofesh Schechter, who kind of took the original classic Jerome Robbins choreography, but put a really Israeli stamp on it because he is an Israeli choreographer in the attempt of trying to make it actually feel a lot more authentic. So when the audience comes to see our production of Fiddler, they're going to get a production of Fiddler like they've never seen before. I think the choreography is actually the most brilliant part of this show. It's exciting. It almost feels like it's gravity-defying. I am not one of the dancers in our show, but I can I can say that it is a thrill for me, even after doing the show over 500 times, to watch our dancers do some of this choreography. You're going to see the stuff you've always expected to see, like the traditional wedding bottle dance, but you're also going to see a really cool, fresh take on it as well. Now, I understand that one of the performances you do will also offer a sign language interpreter. Tell us a bit more about that and why that is being offered. Well, it's actually something that we see pretty common. Um, Sometimes at least, you know, one performance a week will have um, ASL interpreters. And I just think it's really wonderful that this show can be accessible to everybody. Um, the, The language of this show is so beautiful. And actually, um, just from a more personal standpoint, getting to be on stage and kind of out of the corner of my eye, seeing the show being, I would say, performed by these ASL interpreters. I mean, they're not just kind of sitting there giving you an exact translation, but they are like really performing the show alongside us. So it's really thrilling for us as a cast to kind of see that happen. But also, it's really wonderful to know that the show is being made accessible for so many different people. We are speaking with Andrew Hendricks, who plays Laser Wolf in the Sanger's upcoming performance of Fiddler on the Roof. And speaking of your character, Laser Wolf, while certainly not a villain, he's certainly not a beloved character. (laughs) What can you tell us about him and what is it like to play this role? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't say villain, but remember how I said earlier that this show kind of really talks about the changing times and the changing traditions. Well, you know, in the traditional way, Laser Wolf would have been the ideal match for one of Tevye's daughters. As a poor family, Laser Wolf is the rich butcher in town. He's older, probably a bit smelly, um, (laughs) but he is as ideal a match as one could hope for their child because with a butcher, his daughter is never going to be hungry and is never going to want for much. But of course, what 16-year-old wants to be married off to a 50-something butcher? So in that way, he becomes kind of the unlike character in that, uh, you know, I don't think he deserves it. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's just kind of doing what is tradition. But of course, we're rooting for Seitel to marry Mato the tailor, who is her young love, as opposed to the butcher. So That's where I get a bit of a raw deal, but I do get a wonderful production number to life, L'Chaim, that I get to sing with Tevia and the whole band or the whole um, 
company on stage. Uh, it's one of those kind of rousing musical numbers in the show. So I get something fun out of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, who else is involved in this production? Any other actors or directors New Orleanians might know about or should know about? The director, Bartlett Share is just about as iconic and incredible as they come. Um, he does tons of Broadway revivals that get you know, many years on tour. So audiences might have seen some of his other work through the Sanger. And of course, our star, Jonathan Hashmanay, who plays Tevya, is a native Israeli. He brings a wonderful authenticity to the role as well that I think American audiences will just eat up. Um, he really knows the culture and the history, and he brings all that to the character in a way that's really beautiful. Now, as we've mentioned, the story of Fiddler on the Roof has been around for such a long time. The story of Tevye is over 100 years old. Why do you think this musical still holds up after all this time? We're living in a really good time to ask that question. Um, like I said earlier, our show actually takes place in modern-day Ukraine. In fact, the city of Kiev is referred to quite a bit as being like the nearest city to this Jewish um, shtetl or settlement. And when the most recent war broke out in Ukraine with Russia, it kind of jarred everybody to their core working on this show because it's literally history repeating itself. Um, like I mentioned, and again, I don't think this is a spoiler because it's been around for so long. If you don't know the plot of Fiddler on the Roof, that's on you. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, the Russians come and kick the Jews out of their their settlement. And, I mean, what could be more timely than telling that story today when the exact same thing is happening as we tell the story, like, that night, that same stuff is still happening over in the Ukraine. At the end of our show, we take a moment to make a little speech dedicating every performance to the people of Ukraine and to the refugees seeking shelter from this horrible war. Seeing this show really, it's going to do a whole lot more than entertain you for the night. It's going to make you think. It's going to make you reflect on your own life and on the world we live in today. And I think that's really important. And I think it's also kind of rare that you get a piece of theater that does all of that in one night. Andrew Hendricks plays Laser Wolf in the singer's upcoming performance of Fiddler on the Roof. Andrew, thanks so much for being here. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. The Sanger Theater and Broadway in New Orleans present Fiddler on the Roof. Performances run February 28th through March 5th. More info is online at broadwayinneworleans.com. Tradition. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as as a fiddler on the roof. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, this is Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. A celebration of the 70-year-plus career of the late, great NEA jazz master Danny Barker gets underway as the 9th annual Danny Barker Banjo and Guitar Festival kicks off a six-day run in venues across New Orleans next week. Acclaimed guitarist and festival founder Detroit Brooks and renowned traditional jazz banjoist Seva Vinay are here with details. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
there is always a lot of excitement around this festival, and it gets bigger and better every year. Can you take us back to 2014 when you decided to honor Danny Barker with the festival? Well, this was all started because of Danny's contribution. And we used to do a um, what you would call a guitar extravaganza where it was all guitar players. And as we went on through the years, we decided that we wanted to expand it into a festival, and the name Danny Barker came up as the headliner. And I see you both brought a banjo and a guitar. Would you kind of play us into this interview so that we can get a taste for the festival? We would love to, and we'll start off with a song that Danny loved, When You're Smiling. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, the world will smile with you. When you're laughing, keep on laughing, and the sun will come shining through. But when you're crying, it brings on the rain, so stop your crying and be happy again when you're smiling. When you're smiling, the whole world will smile with you. When you're smiling. Yes, indeed. Always a reason to smile when we're talking about this festival. Tell us about the career of this extraordinary New Orleans musician. He spent years in New York in the 30s playing guitar and banjo with many top jazz artists over his long career. Seven. Personally, I think Danny Barker should be taught in every school in the nation. When you study Danny Barker, you're studying the entire history of jazz from its pre-jazz origins in the brass band tradition here in New Orleans, of which he was a part of the Barbaran family, who were a very large part of that culture. And his career overlapped with working with Jelly Roll Morton, Louis Armstrong, Sidney Bechet, later Cab Calloway, uh, Charlie Parker, Dexter Gordon, later still Wynton Marcellus and the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, and so many other people that are currently stars were mentored by him. The importance of Danny to me was that he had the same opportunity as all of the people that you named, but he chose to come back to New Orleans and spend his, the remaining of his life and his talents with the youth of New Orleans. That's what makes this festival so great. Let's talk more about that. This was back in the 1960s when he returned, and he paid special attention to the city's brass band tradition. He revived it, yes, because it was was on his way out. A lot of things, you know, and Danny saw that. He came back and he spent a lot of time with Dr. Michael White, Greg Stafford, Lucian Barber, and he saw these kids, and he took them at Leroy Jones, you know. Yeah. He started his own thing with the Fabio Baptist Church, and... That's the reason we have what we have today, the music. And that's the Fairview Baptist Church. Marching band. And we're certainly grateful to this day. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, Detroit, how did you come to know Danny Barker? I was married into the family of the Cagnoletti's, who Ernie Cagnoletti was a trumpet player, played with the Preservation Hall. And he and Danny were neighbors. Uh, my uncle would come home off of a tour. He would have parties at his house. 
And at the time, Leroy Jones, my sister would neither Mark, my brother, he would uh, bring the band over by my uncle's house, and we would be playing. So Danny would come a lot of times and be Danny Barker telling stories and, you know, creating stories and stuff. And sometimes he would come out and talk with the band or, you know, give me that guitar, and he played on the guitar. And what about you, Seva? How did you come to know Danny Barker? Well, Danny Barker passed away in 1994, and I came to New Orleans for the first time in 1999. When I started working with Tuba Fats Band in 1999, and through the course of my career here in New Orleans in the last 23 years, I've played with numerous musicians that have worked with or were mentored by Danny Barker. It's going to sound funny, but I was already well on my way to playing like Danny Barker and playing in that style before I even moved here. I had studied a lot of harmony on the guitar, and that's what Danny was such a master at. When you just talk about his instrumental abilities, his rhythms, and his harmonies were extremely sophisticated and very underappreciated, I believe. How are you honoring his legacy this year, Detroit? We're going to have master classes, uh, clinics. We're going to have music. Traditional jazz is what we have. That's the glue in what's happening in the music in New Orleans today is the traditional jazz. In addition to that, this year, I'm going to be honoring kind of his literary dynamic as well as performing and playing. Um, I'll, of course, I'll play a few of his songs, and so I feel like I'm honoring his spirit. And you've also got quite a few performers. we got the tribute band, Dr. Michael White, Greg Stafford, Herman mm -hmm. LeBoy on drums, uh, Mitchell Player. Uh, we got Steve Mazakowski. He's going to also be uh, hosting the clinic. His family is going to be performing also. And uh, we have a young lady. She's from Cuba. She's been here a while, and she's learned the music. Her name is Yusa. Incredible. She's very much incredible. We're also bringing in the guitars from, from Haiti, Claude Carrier, incredible. Wow. Yes. And I hear that this year's artist in residence is the Grammy-winning jazz and blues vocalist, Catherine Russell. Yeah, Catherine Russell. Does she have a connection to Danny Barker? Yeah, through her father, being uh, Louis Armstrong's band leader, Louis Russell. Louis Russell? Right. Wow. And so she had an opportunity to meet Danny and... Uh, to hear Danny perform, you know, with, uh, with Louis Armstrong. Now, she's going to be doing a couple of uh, performances? Yeah, on the 8th of, of uh, March, she's going to do a master class at the George Wynn Center, and uh, she'll be accompanied by Don Vappi, who's a great uh, banjoist guitarist. She's going to perform with the tribute band at Snug Harbor. She's going to come up and be a feature at the New Orleans Jazz Museum. Acclaimed guitarist and festival founder Detroit Brooks and renowned traditional jazz banjoist Seva Vinay. Thanks so much. Thank you, thank you, Mac. Thank you very much for your time. The 2023 Danny Barker Banjo and Guitar Festival will present events over a six-day run, March 7th through 12th. More info is online at dannybarkerfestival.com. When you're smiling. Keep on smiling The whole world will smile with you When you're laughing, ha, 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 ha Keep on laughing And the sun will come shining From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. 
Thanks to our guest, Justice, Race, and Equity reporter Bobby Jean Missick, Fiddler on the Roof cast member Andrew Hendricks, Danny Barker banjo and guitar festival founder Detroit Brooks, and traditional jazz banjoist Seva Vinay. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.